The aim of Black Mental Matters is to tell experiences with honesty. Therefore, some discussions may trigger an adverse reaction. If a discussion is beginning to upset you, we advise that you please stop listening and talk to your support team. Hello, everyone. Once again, it is Black Middle Matters, your host, Vince, The Voice, and hope all is doing okay for you and yours. we got a whole new administration going on here in America. Lots of opportunities going to be presented. And as you know, this program, Black Middle Matters, while we do deal with clinical issues as it relates to mental health, also want to focus in on things that, you know, just how we process things and uh, how we can navigate our ways to whatever level of success it is in the various areas of our life. And that's why I'm so pleased today to bring to you and introduce to you a man that I admire quite a bit. He is a disruptive and innovative entrepreneur coach, has done many significant things in the world of business, and now is using those experiences to help others. So I want you to just lock it in, take a listen to his story. And once again, thank you for listening. This is Black Mental Matters, and it starts right now. Black Middle Matters, and I tell you, you're about to learn a whole lot. Get your pencils, you get your papers, get your tape recorders, your VCRs, and everything, because I have none other than the disruptive and innovative entrepreneur coach is C. Sonny Martin, and the crowd goes crazy. Did you hear him, Dad? The crowd's going <laughs> Vince, crazy. It's, it's, so, it's so good to talk to you, my brother. I've always had mad respect for you, and the work that you do is par excellence. The crowd going crazy again. There it go. <laughs> <laughs> Great intro there, my brother. Oh, see, Sonny Martin, man, you are uh, a, a man, just uh, an icon, a legend. You have done many, many things, and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for taking your time. Uh, I'm going to just go back to just, just, just to get us rolling here. You are the innovator of who's who in black everywhere if you because I, I, I remember when I made the list I was so excited Sonny uh, that I, I moved to Atlanta and I was nominated and then made a member of the who's who in black Atlanta T- tell us how that journey began man let's start there okay man it's, it's, it's just such an interesting and, and inspirational blessed story because it didn't happen intentionally from my perspective I was in a corporate sales job with Toyota as a director of sales training for Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, and Alabama. And I wanted to return back to my journalistic roots because I started in television and then went to radio. That's right. And, you know, the the sales game was good. I learned how to sell. I, I had, you know, overcome my fear of actually selling, working on 100% commission and rose all the way up the ranks to be the director of sales training for, for five states. So I knew it was time for me. Uh, I had just moved to Atlanta. I spent three years with Toyota. I knew it was time for me to do something entrepreneurial. And uh, I really didn't like politicians that much. I just had a bad flavor from being a, a, a television reporter news reporter i just didn't like politicians they were talking about both sides of their neck and Tell me about egos it. you know run amok and yeah. this that and the other until i started reading about maynard jackson the mayor of atlanta and i just said i was trying to find a reason not to like to do right <laughs> and because uh, he was a politician right, you know, right. he was a big stately man big you know uh, he was very hard light skin and, nice hair all that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> He, 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 he was a, a giant, you yes, know, but yes. he didn't walk with no security guards with earpieces in the ear. He was a man of, 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 
common folk. And so I just start reading up about him and reading and reading and researching him and this, that, and the other. I said, dang, on this dude was the uh, was an attorney for legal aid helping poor people, right? And then he rose up through city council and became vice mayor. And I was reading so much about him. I said, oh, my God, there was a greater reason for him to be assassinated than literally Martin Luther King. Because yeah. what Maynard did when he became mayor of Atlanta, he did the old... Uh, 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 Eddie, uh, what's what's Eddie's name? Eddie, uh, big actor. Uh, 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 Eddie. Eddie, 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 big big comedian actor. Oh, Eddie, Mar- Eddie, Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. yeah, he did big Eddie Murphy when he came into office as a new sheriff in town. Mm. Mm. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. since white folks had 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 you know ran for the suburbs because of school uh, integration and left the whole city of Atlanta black, you know, predominantly black. I think it was like 36, 37%. It was the largest city. But black folks are the ones that put him in office. Right, right. And I read about some of his economic policies where he is, you know, thought of as being the architect of affirmative action. Yes. And uh, when I had conversations with him and was just so overblown with him, you know, I'd see him out or, you know, campaign rallies or whatever, whatever. And I was just, you know, put my reporter hat and was hitting him with a lot of questions. And he said, Martin, I'm not, I'm not the uh, architect of affirmative action. He said, white folks invented that. They affirmed contracts to people they knew in their subdivision, their, 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 their country club, their brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, and that. And they just left us out. Right. And I figured it worked so well for them, it ought to work for us. Mm, mm. And he just kind of stole the playbook, and I'd never heard anybody talk like that, right? And he said, when I came into office, less than 1% of the city's contracts were going to women and minorities. And here we were at 36% of the population. And I said, well, dang on, it worked so well for them economically, it ought to work for all people. Mm. He says, and I tell you, I got a lot of pushback from the black clergy because I was always talking about money and economics. Mm. And uh, Isn't that you know, ironic? The, preacher, the, the preacher said, oh, money, for the love of money is evil and all this, that. And he said, let me tell you something. He says, Martin, he always called me Martin on my last name. He said, let me tell you something. He said, we fought so long for civil rights. He said, but civil rights without economic rights equals no rights for black folks. Mm. And I said, say that again. He said, civil rights without economic rights is no rights. He said, you fought, and we fought for the, the opportunity to be able to go into places that we weren't allowed in, but we ain't got no money spending no money in there where we at. Where we at, that's right. And we're giving our money to people that don't like us, don't want us in their places. We make them rich, and we're making ourselves poor. Mm. Who you give your money to is, is who you give your power to. So, I mean, you know, I was just like, my, my wig was flipped. And uh, Vince, long story short, I while working at Toyota, I stalked him. I stalked him for about a year and a half, almost two years, wanting to write the book about his life and return to my journalistic, you know, uh, 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 passions. Yes. And he was the kind of guy that never liked the spotlight to be on him. Hmm. He was as pure as as. His integrity was beyond reproach, and he woke up every day trying to figure out how he could economically empower black folks. 
And it was pure. It wasn't like, you know, slip me a 10 under the, uh, right, under the, right, the, the table right, and do this. And, right. uh, you know, it wasn't all that ego, ego stuff and what's in it for me and right. if I do this for you and all that kind of stuff. He was just, he just let it roll. And uh, I kept stalking him and stalking. I matter of fact, I was talking to Chris Tucker with him at an event and we were, you know, the event was over with. I think it was somewhere in Buckethead Hotel. We meet Chris Tucker and, and, and Maynard, Maynard was sitting on, uh, leaning against the table and we we're the only three people in the room. And I said, Maynard, when are you going to let me do this book, man? Let me, let me do this book so I can leave this plantation I'm on. He said, Martin, it ain't going to happen. I, I, you know, I, I'm not done with my life and I, I, I don't have any desire whatsoever to have a spotlight on me and tell my story. My goal is to tell your story, tell other people's story, empower other people. Mm. And I was just amazed at it, man. I grew up a fatherless boy, but I said, man, I would I would have quit my job and just worked for him for free if I could just drive him around. Just He just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he just drilled so much knowledge in my head, you yeah, know, that yeah. I'd never heard no black man talk like this. Yeah. And from the perch that he was on, right, he was very articulate, you know, and aristocratic. That was something else. I said he'd come from, he, he, he's, he's an aristocratic black man. Hmm. And so it went on, and I'm still working at Toyota, and I will be dog. One day I get the phone call before cell phones. He called me at Toyota. He had my business card. And he said, Martin, I want you to meet me at the OK Cafe on Northside Drive. I said, the OK Cafe, Historic. what is that place? Historic, yeah, yeah. And I go up there, I'm I'm, I'm so excited, I'm, 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 I'm levitating, right? He wants to meet me, and I said, oh, man, he's going to let me do this book about him. Oh, my God, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I'm yeah. in Atlanta, and the mayor, the first black man, let me do this book about him. Yeah. This, I walked inside that restaurant up there, and I saw the largest Confederate flag I had ever seen in my life. It was wood carved mm. and it was in the main dining room on the wall. And it had to be, I'm gonna say, easily had to be seven feet long by about four and a half feet wow. uh, high. And it was wood carved wow. and it was on the wall. And I said, what the hell? I need to get him out of this place. <laughs> Maybe I got the wrong place. The mayor, I'm surely he ain't going to. And I'm seeing some black people in there. And then I look back in there around the corner in the kitchen. Nothing but black folk in there. Right, right. In the kitchen with the uniforms and the hats on, you know, making the food. And I'm like, okay, somebody, I don't know about this. I'm just going to sit out here in the lobby and wait on him. Sure enough, he come bustling in. And, uh, you know, big, tall, you know, stately man. Hey, Martin, how you doing? He said, Let, let's go over and sit at my table. Guess where his table was? Where was his table? Right underneath that big old commander's right Oh, the wall. my goodness. All right. And I'm like, man, why don't He ain't there? scared. He wasn't scared. <laughs> he said, son, I come here on purpose because I want them to see me in their place. Mm. And I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. We're going to get shot. I don't know. We're going to get hit. I, I had never been in the place before. I'm from the north, right? I ain't used to this, you know. The state flag in, in Georgia was the Confederate flag when I moved there in 86. Yes, it was. 
And so Maynard is talking to me and I'm still like feeling uncomfortable and everything. And the menu was soul food. It was like delicious soul food, you know? And uh, he's had this conversation with me. He said, Martin, let me tell you something. He said, I got a project for you. You're the perfect person to it. He says, you know, the first time I met you, you impressed me when you told me why you quit television news because of all the negative news you were forced to cover in the black community in your hometown of Columbus. And you said that in college, it taught you the news should be fair, balanced, and objective, and it was none of that. And you just felt it was a white, a, a right-wing conspiracy to tell all this negative news about black folks. And it certainly wasn't the balance. He said, that really impressed me. He said, we got the same thing going on online. We got black anchors and all the the, the television stations. And he says, and you see here the same negative news every single night. He said, but I got a project. He says, you remember when you were in high school and at the end of your senior year, you got a yearbook in your hand? I mm. said, yeah. Mm. He says, I thought about this and this is the book that you could do. He said, I like to have a book that come out like an annual yearbook mm. that would feature the talents and the assets of the black community. Mm. And I, I was just like, okay, uh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, juggle it in my, my mind, envision it. And he says, you know, I have been an ambassador to bring black people home to the South and people from all over the country have migrated to Atlanta. He said, but you know what? One of the biggest assets that we have here that no other black, no other major city has he says, we got four black colleges on one campus. Oh, yeah. So the wealthiest and the most aristocratic, he didn't say aristocratic, oh, yeah. but the most successful black folks send their daughters to Spelman, send their men to Morehouse. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Morehouse man. Mm-hmm. He says, I need you to understand this. He said, rebellions are always started by a younger generation. Mm. And, and that just stuck with me. He says, Martin Luther King was in his grave before the end of his 30s. You know, John Lewis, Julian Bond, that's all those freedom fighters, they were all right. college kids. That's right, that's right. That's he right. says, Atlanta was a black Republican city because we were the party of Lincoln. That's right. He says, until black folks turned to Democrats when John Kennedy got it like this. That's right. So Martin Luther King in Atlanta, Georgia, was considered a rebel, a troublemaker by the status quo of black people because he was, you know, stirring it up too much. The Atlanta Daily World black newspaper was a Republican black newspaper. Mm. The family remained Republican throughout the whole tenure old in the Atlanta Daily World, the oldest black newspaper in Atlanta. He said, but it takes change makers to have the the uh, the guts to be able to change things. He said, and the thing I always want to have is when those kids from all over the country and their parents sent them here, we have a feeder system of new young black talent that's the best of the best coming into our city every year. No other city can claim what we have. He said, but there's a big disconnect. You've got the locals that have been here, you got all the transplants and you got all these new students and they don't know who's here. Who's the highest ranking, you know, black people of this corporation, that corporation, who the top entrepreneurs are, who the top black folks that lead uh, nonprofit organizations. He says, and, and my vision is that this yearbook will talk about the positive achievements of the black folks that are here that we could show off and showcase. 
and it would be a historical document that can go on from year to year to year to year. So, man, I was holding the table because I thought me and the table was going to levitate because he had me. I mean, you're talking about, and, and his wife will tell you, the biggest asset that Maynard had, he was a salesperson. <laughs> he could sell <laughs> anybody, anything. Because he was just that charismatic, right? So he's feeding all this into me and feeding this all into me. You're the right man. He says, and if you agree to do it, and this was the biggie, biggie, biggie. He said, Martin, if you agree to do this and work on putting this kind of book out, directory book, whatever, he says, I'll open up my Rolodex to mm, you mm. and introduce you to the most phenomenal black people that live in Atlanta across the board. And, and I'll even make some phone calls for you. And 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 I got I gotta stop you, man. I'm because the rest of it is history. Uh, the rest is history. You went on, Sonny, to create then the Who's Who in Black Atlanta, uh, and then took it even further than that. Uh, how many cities again did, did did you create, Sonny? We we ended up in seven eight years uh, expanding the brand of that directory in 27 cities coast to coast New York to LA Las Vegas Detroit Dallas, Antonio, Detroit Chicago Miami uh, Charlotte Cincinnati Cleveland Louisville Kentucky mm. uh, St. Louis mm. you know, all over the country man. It, it was, was just, it, yeah just 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 phenomenal so when when I you know met you and and saw what it was that you were doing some years ago I mean it was just amazing um uh and 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 just so powerful to see like you say that that yearbook but it showcased so much talent in our black communities. You know, I'm really familiar with the one here in Atlanta, but as you say, again, you took it to all these cities. And that's, you know, why I wanted to have you on this program, Sonny, because, I mean, when it, when it comes down to success, I mean, there's uh, that's a relative term. You know, what's successful for one may not be successful for another. But success success across the board and, and, and you know, uh, what you... Um, you released yourself. Let's put it like that. What from from who's who, and now you're doing youth entrepreneurship training and uh, urban entrepreneurship training and, and and things like that. I mean, I I'm sure that what you saw by meeting all these movers and shakers in the 23 cities across the country and all the books, you know, who's who's that you did? Because I mean, in one one uh, edition, you may have how many how many. People were highlighted in one edition. Uh, three or four hundred people in every book in every city. So yeah. picture that, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, three or four hundred of the top, you know, black business and uh, political and government. I mean, folks in Chicago, in Atlanta, in Dallas, and all. And mm -hmm. so, so the, the the things that you learned from those experiences, now you are using to help people achieve in the world of business. I, I want to shift to that now. So what, what, t talk a little bit about this urban entrepreneur, well, what you're doing you, now. You, you, I, I love the, the, the theme and the DNA of the show, mental health. Mm -hmm. And for many, many, many years, at least throughout my lifetime, we have always felt like we were second-class citizens mm -hmm. in a country that enslaved us, Jim Crow us, discriminated against us, racially profiled us, and all this, that, and the other. So, you know, 
it wasn't life had not been no crystal staircase for most black folks. The struggle was real. We run out of money before we run out of month, right? That's right. And the the sad thing about it, I have to keep it real and be very transparent. When I started out with this project in Atlanta, Georgia, nineteen eighty seven. My first book came out in 89. So, yeah, I started in 87. I immediately quit my job. I uh, did not have had maybe two or three months of, of savings, you know, not much. I was just levitating for the idea, jumped at the opportunity. You know, the mayor's going to open up his Rolodex. Now, I'll tell you how long ago when people had Rolodexes. Right, right, right. right. It's <laughs> big Rolodex, no though. His was happened. big, though. His was big. Oh, yeah, <laughs> You'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. His black book was the real right. who, too. right. But long story short, uh, I have to keep it real and tell you that I did not get any financial support from the black community. Mm. I was walking and talking, and it, it was kind of a slippery slope to go interview, you know, the, the Hank Aaron's and the, the John Lewis's and the Youngs and all the movies and shakers just that. And, you know, and at the same time, I couldn't, you know, come around and ask them for any money for this. Because Maynard said, you, you'll figure out how to get paid. You know, I didn't, I didn't get any money from the city to do this. He said, Martin, you're smart enough to figure it out. So it took me 17 months full time to interview 300 people for that very first Susu book that came out in 1991 in Atlanta. Wow. It took me 17 months, face-to-face interviews. Wow. And I was typing up the bios at Kinko's at night, and I couldn't even afford a computer at Kinko's at whatever it was, 15 or 20 cents a, a minute or whatever, because I'm crazy with the price it was. And people were just donating stuff to me. And then the, the manager at Kinko's finally just he just gave me his manager's card. I could use it for because he liked the project I was on. Yeah, it was a brother. It was a brother that hooked me up. Right? Very good. So that was cool. <laughs> yes, but I couldn't understand. I remember walking down Peachtree Street, man, broke as a joke. I had been evicted from my condo, uh, living in my car, washing up in 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 the, in the community center at the condo that evicted me. I still had to. It was a gated community. I still had the gate to get in, sleeping on the couch. And in the community room and all this, that, and the other. And I couldn't figure out how to monetize, how to get paid for all this. So 17 months, I went with nothing. I was the main library downtown Atlanta, and Kinko's was my office. And, you know, I ran into Tyler Perry. He was homeless at the same time in the main library down in Atlanta. Back <laughs> oh, my in the day. goodness. Oh, my goodness. At the exact same time. Wow. And I used to laugh at him because he was talking about doing plays, dressing in drag. And I'm like, uh, biggest that negro was i thought like okay he got some issues putting on high heels and wigs and all that yeah and then he would laugh at me so well good luck with your book the best place to hide something from black people is in a book you got to be as crazy as me and we would just kick it like that every once in a while but there was a lot of homeless brothers man brothers that just dropped out from society that you know i mean there was the real homeless brothers that had drug problems coming out of grady hospital just running the streets of Atlanta. but there was other brothers that was just trying to figure it out in Atlanta, just just trying to figure it out what they was going to do. Right. And they just wanted a piece of the ATL in some kind of way, right? So it was a lot of us. I'm, I'm going to call that area the, the great renaissance because people was getting it in, trying to figure it out. Long story short, I was walking down Peachtree Street one day, almost trying to hold back the tears. I thought I had lost my damn mind. I left a six-figure job at Toyota. I uh, wasn't married with my daughter and her mother. I had to move back to Ohio, you know, because I got evicted, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I mean, I had relatives wanting to do an intercession with me. thought I'd lost my damn mind. Mm. 
And I was walking down Peachtree Street one day, trying to hold back the tears. I couldn't understand why I couldn't get no funding from no black businesses. That was mm, door slamming. You're not from Atlanta. What gives you the right to do a book? Who's in a black land? You know, just I hate stuff. Yeah. And jealousy stuff. And because it wasn't their idea, right? And it was like the Lord itself. It was a spiritual moment that happened. If you if if you believe, you don't have to be a every Sunday church going person. But if you believe and you have faith in what you're gonna do, you got to be able to walk through total darkness without seeing a pinhole of a light in front of you. Mm. And you can't give up. You can't give in. Mm. You got to keep putting one foot in front of the other every day. Mm. And I just didn't want to let the mirror down. So I was driven by that, but I was frustrated. And it was like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, why are you going to the people with the least amount of money? Why don't you start calling on the people with the majority amount of money that get a lot of black people's money? Mm. And that was the big, aha revelation for me. Yes, yes. And the very next day, I went to Atlanta Classic Cars Mercedes-Benz dealership in downtown Decatur that the white lady owned and her brother owned the RBM in Roswell. And I, I had no appointment. And I walked into the reception and said, I'm here to see Kathy such and such. Uh, Sir, do you have an appointment with her? I said, no, I don't. I just want to speak to her. I've got a, a matter of, of, of urgent concern. I'd just like to talk to her maybe five minutes of her time. If I spend more than 10 minutes, I'll donate $50 to her favorite charity. But I just got an issue I'd just like to discuss with her. And uh, she came out all skeptical, looking at a black man, big black man. I'm like, yes, sir, can I help you? I said, I said, Kathy, can, can I just come in your office and, and I just want to ask you a couple of questions that, that are concerned of me. So I went in her office, man, and you, you talk about the, the total closer. And I had, you know, learned how to close the sales with Toyota being a sales trader. I said, I said, can I ask you a question? What percentage of your customer base is African American that are buying these Mercedes Benz? Oh boy! And she looked at me, kind of, you know, not knowing what her answer would be. She said, "I don't keep track of the race." I mean, you know, she said, "We we got a very good, strong African American clientele." I said, well, "Kathy, if you had to say on zero to." 100%. What percentage would you say it is? You're the owner, right? And she, I said, just kind of tell me. I said, I'm not a reporter. I'm not putting this, you know, you know, in the AJC or not. I just was curious. And what she said that came out of her mouth almost floored me. Guess what she said? What'd she say? 70%. Wow. 70. 70%. Wow. Well, downtown Decatur. Go figure, right? Right, right, right. And this was in uh, in in uh, 86, 87, uh, 87, I think it was. And I'm going like 70% of her income and revenue is coming from black folks buying Mercedes-Benz from her. And so my next obvious question was just like right off the tip. And it was Maynard inspired. I said, so 70% of your gross revenues you receive from African-American sport and your business. I said, can I just ask you one other question? She said, yeah. I said, what percentage of that 70% of the gross revenue are you spending back when any African-American companies? That's right. Oh, man. Oh, my God. (laughs) How dare you? 
<laughs> I dare you ask such a question. I, know. I asked it in a general, in a in as gentle and genteel way as I could. But when that lady's neck got red and her face got flushed, I knew it was like, okay, yeah. this is gonna be. Yeah. Either I'm out of here in two seconds, yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah. she's gonna break it down for me. And she yeah. just. She thought about it for a while. And it was just asking her, you know, what what, what color is, is is the spaceships on the moon? And she says, I really don't understand. I I I, I don't know what you know what you're asking. Where you well, going with this? Where you going yeah, with this? I said, well, if African Americans supporting your business to seventy percent of your revenue, it just makes sense for you to do some business back with the African American community. I said, but okay, let's not answer that. I said. I got something that I just need to get your input on. I'm doing this book that's going to feature, and this was my slogan with Who's Who. It's going to feature the most influential and affluent African-Americans in Atlanta, and I'm going to have the pictures and bios in this book, and it's an annual directory. I said, what would you say is your best marketing vehicle to reach these kind of people? Hmm. And that let her off the hook. And she said, well, I would never advertise on the black stations because they're playing all that, you know, hard rap hippity, stuff. Hippity, that's, hippity. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not my clientele. So we don't really right. have any outlet other than word of mouth. We've got doctors and some very successful African-Americans that are clients and really good people. And I told her about this, this book I had. And I brought out my red card and I showed her and I had a letter from the Maynard. She says, oh, that would be great for us. I said, if you would support this and maybe add an ad and back cover inside front or something like that, I would agree to hold the, the first reception when the book comes out right here in your dealership. Maybe after hours, we could have some wine and cheese and bring all these people inside your dealership. Mm-mm-mm. Now, that input came from me being in the car business and know yeah. that yeah. every dealership spends on average $300 to bring a customer inside the showroom. You can bring them all at once. <laughs> and I'm bringing and everybody going to be in this book in there for a gala, after hours gala. And she fell in love with the idea. Man, she signed that contract with a quickness, $5,000. Oh, my goodness. And I only had a quarter in my pocket. Boy, look at here. Look at and the rest, as they say, is history. Sonny, I mean, you're such a great storyteller. Our time has run out, man. We're gonna have to oh, do this again. Already? <laughs> already it's a thirty minute show, so Sonny. <laughs> but, but it's all good. No, but you, you you walked us through. You walked us through, you know, the mindset of how you can make things. I mean, this was literally something you created, man, from nothing. And now, you know, something that you've, you know, did for twenty years and moved on to do other things. I do want you, though, really quickly, Sonny, to tell folks how they can find out more information because you're passing on this knowledge now through your training and entrepreneur. And I mean, like 30 seconds, Sonny, I need you to tell them how they can find you. I, I sold my company 10 years and I made a vow that, you know, I would pay the knowledge, the skills, the information, the experiences I had all to a new generation, man. There's so many folks that out there trying to figure it out trying to get their side hustle on and they don't necessarily know how to monetize their business and how to shake a hand, make a friend and get a check. They've never been trained in sales or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, and I've committed this last chapter of my life to be able to help brothers and sisters everywhere monetize their creative ideas and know how to get a check. 
How can Second they find hand, you? Make a friend and get a check. How can they find See you? SonnyMartin.com is my website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on all, all the social media platforms uh, at C. Sonny Martin. Uh, and follow my Urban Entrepreneur Facebook page. We got almost 8,000 people. And I got people from 28 foreign countries. It's at the Urban Event Center. The at sign, the Urban Event Center is my Urban Entrepreneur uh, uh, Facebook page. And I'm on uh, Instagram as well. So thank you so much, Vince. You're doing a, a great service to our community, man, because our mental health, you know, we're the last hired, last fired, and this pandemic has hit us more hard than anybody else, man. And, and we just got to pull together and, and each one teach one, each one, you know, lift one up and so we can rise this community. So thank you for having me. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, man. Thank you. And uh, thank you for, for, you know, laying out the story and folks that are listening. Uh, I mean, take uh, a little blueprint there. There's much more for you to learn and you can uh, uh, definitely get some, some, some great, great. And I mean, great vision and, and just spirit and just old uh, ambition by uh, finding uh, C. Sonny Martin. That's the letter C S U N N Y M A R T I N. God bless Sonny. Have a great one, man. And uh, we'll see you at the bank. All right. All right. Sounds good, Vince. <laughs> a minute, baby. Bye-bye.